Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest has been voted the most trusted internet marketer in the world. He's a best-selling author of Silent Sales Machine, which has been read by an estimated 800,000 people around the world, and he is a consistent top 10 seller on Amazon. Please welcome to the show, Jim Cockrum. Jim, how are you doing? Thanks, Mikkel. It's great to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure to meet you, getting to know you a little bit. You've got a really cool demographic here with this show. I can't wait to start listening to it more. I checked it out a little bit, but I'll tell you a little bit about me. Just a really short story. Started goofing around on the internet about 18 years ago on eBay and it started taking off. It became way more exciting than my real job, which was selling software for Microsoft. And what I decided to do was just jump with both feet in about 15 years ago. To make a long story short, every quarter since then has been better than the one before. Our team has grown. We're selling products all over the world, doing internet marketing from pretty much multiple creative angles. And I'm doing it from home. Five kids, beautiful wife, my sweetheart from college. And we've been married since 1994 and just blessed, man. It's, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to be working with people you love, doing something you love, surrounded by your family in a beautiful part of the world. Just life couldn't be better, man. I'm blessed. That's the best way to put it. Oh, I agree with you there, my friend. You mentioned your children. I noticed that you homeschool your children. I think that's a really interesting topic because as expats, a lot of us are concerned about education while living overseas or living life the way we want. What's homeschooling your children like? Yeah, you know what? I, I've developed some some interesting, somewhat controversial life theories and strategies. Of, and, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time living, I say, at the edge of the bell curve on a lot of different things. And this is one of them. Because at, as a parent, I've developed this theory. I think all parents homeschool. And some parents will say, whoa, wait, wait no, we send our kids to, to a building for several hours per day to a great quality private school or whatever it is that you do. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But ultimately, you're responsible for their education, are you not? I mean, it's your child, so we're all in the process of educating our kids. There's multiple ways to do it. You can incorporate some outside help if you'd like. You can do it yourself if you feel equipped. And just so it turns out that my wife, she's really smart, graduated top of her class. I I often joke, she graduated magna cum laude. I graduated thank the laude, right? (laughs) So she was... She's been the homeschool teacher for our kids. Our oldest is 21 now. We've got kids all the way up, from 21 all the way down to, I should say, our youngest, our only daughter, who's 11. And we've been homeschooling for a long time now. But it's a beautiful way to expose the kids. We've been able to travel and, and see the world. And 
exposing the multiple cultures. And we've actually internationally adopted three times. So we've got two biological kids and we've got a child from China, from Russia and from Guatemala. We didn't set out to do, to build the UN with our family, but international adoption isn't the easiest thing to do at times. You have to kind of pick the countries where you can go when you decide it's time to grow your family. And those are the countries that were top of our list based on our ability to get in and adopt a child. So that's how our family's kind of grown. And and yeah, we've uh, homeschooled. We've, we're basically growing a bunch of entrepreneurs is what we're doing, I think. Uh, my 18-year-old has a thriving internet marketing business, and he's he's earning more per week than I used to earn in a, in a month or more as at his age. Uh, some days are better than the months I used to have, actually, if I do the math. But yeah, that, that's been homeschooling. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. We're huge advocates of it. Good question. Well, I just love it because actually it's very interesting that you mention those three countries. So actually I lived in Guatemala for five months when I was in my 20s. I learned to speak Spanish there. I stayed with a family. Beautiful. It was an unbelievable experience. Where at? What good city? So I lived in Antigua and San Marcos, which is on Lago de Atitlan, which is this stunning volcanic crater. Beautiful, beautiful lake is like out of this world. Oh. I know right where you are. Well, we, we lived in Antigua for three months when we adopted our daughter. So I'm very familiar with the gated old Spanish community of Antigua, Guatemala. Beautiful, gorgeous city. What year were you there for that? Maybe we were next door neighbors. That would be about 10 years ago at this point. 10 years ago. I think I was there 2005. So I think I was just a little bit ahead of you. And then you mentioned that you also adopted a child from China. Correct. Yeah, my wife is from China. We were just there this week, and my daughter is in China as well. So we're definitely raising our children to speak Mandarin, English, and Spanish. So I just think that's a really interesting coincidence. Unstoppable combination. If you had to pick three languages, really, the international language of business is English. And then after that, man, if picking up on Mandarin, which I'm not, but we've got a son who's getting into some Asian languages, mainly Japanese at this point. He's starting to learn some Chinese as well. And it's not our... China-born son, strangely enough. It's our Russian-born son Wow, <laughs> is into foreign languages and no interest whatsoever in Russian, <laughs> but fascinated by the Japanese and Chinese cultures. So what has it been like to try to raise your children or, I don't know if try is the correct word, but raise your children to be entrepreneurs? Were you deliberate about that or is that just something because they saw their father as such a successful entrepreneur? Oh, I, I love your line of questioning. This is fun. Okay, so uh, another theory I'm working on. I think all kids are born entrepreneurs. Every single one of them is born with the, because to me, an entrepreneur is that inner desire to serve others well and benefit from it while you're doing it. See, I, def, I define a business simply as the ability to serve others well and not require donations in order to continue your service. That's all a business is. I think we're born with that inner desire to serve others well. And it's a very rewarding thing. I mean, you see kids with lemonade stands and, you know, there's that pride of ownership. What kid wouldn't jump at the chance to make a little money on a Saturday setting up a lemonade stand? I mean, it's like 98% of the kids are like, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. Unless they've had it pounded out of them at some point, which I think, unfortunately, our typical education experience pounds out of us those things that we need to thrive as entrepreneurs, the curiosity, the creativity, the ask a bunch of questions. As entrepreneurs, we've got to be able to ask ourselves and others hard questions. And I think our education system pounds that out of us. I mean, who is the least cool kid in class? If you're in a room of 30 kids, the least cool kid in class is the one who keeps raising his hand. Who knows all the answers. Knows the answers, asks the questions. Memorized all the little things. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that environment kind of pounds out of you. Like, don't be that kid. Don't be that one that, you know, that the teacher's always talking to and interacting with, always asking the great questions. And so, you know, in a class of 30, you've got one or two that kind of excel and everyone else is like, oh, yeah, those guys. You know, whereas with the homeschool system, like when we take our kids to a museum, for example, they won't stop asking questions. They just, they've never been told it was uncool. So they're constantly asking questions about life, about business, about what we believe and about what other people believe. And that curious nature serves you very well as you get out into the real world. So I didn't set out to raise entrepreneurs necessarily. I just set out to raise kids who love learning. And you know, from my vantage point, there's only three things you got to, and this is an old Hebrew principle, there's only three things you got to do when you've raised a successful adult. Because we're not raising kids, we're raising adults in our house. Successful adult has a spiritual nature. In our case, it's a walk with God. We're Christians. So you're very in tune with your spiritual nature. You're able to interact with others. 
you can look a human in the eye and shake their hand and ask them good questions and interact and you understand male-female relationships and you understand the dynamics of interacting in a room of people. So many young kids don't have that now. So we've been very intentionally exposing them to kids that are younger and older than them, adults, right? And the third thing is a decent grasp of how to serve others in a mutually beneficial way, also known as business. So you teach them those three things. You've got an unstoppable person. So one of the things that you just said that really struck out to me is not so much what you're trying to add to your children, but what you're trying to make sure you are not taking away. So taking away would be that creativity, that desire and that hunger for answers and for looking for solutions to problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If they're a fish, don't try to teach them to climb a tree just because your culture tells them to, right? I mean, we've got five very different kids, but that love of learning, that's a, that's a standard. Just because you're shy doesn't mean you get to be rude. You know, that's a standard in our family. Being able to present yourself well at a dinner table of strangers, you know, those are the standards. But beyond that, your curiosities, we believe those are God-given, those things that you just can't get enough of. If So if our five-year-old wants to dig in, our seven-year-old wants to dig in and learn how to build his own computer, yeah, buddy, let's do it. That's cool. And what we're creating is a computer tech genius without even trying because he just goes as far as he wants, watches YouTube. One of our kids learned to play piano beautifully watching YouTube <laughs> hours a day, you know, just let them pursue their passion with, you know, establish your family standards and let these kids pursue their passions and, and they'll tell you what they are. It's a, it's a beautiful way to, to and it's, it works, man. We've got the evidence and there's a huge homeschool community now in the United States. It used to be kind of backwards and, you know, strained people say, well, what about socialization? I mean, if our kids have more friends than we can keep track of <laughs> and activities and friends and events and sports. And so that's no longer an issue just because of the huge homeschool community, virtually anywhere you go in the States, especially, I'm not as familiar with other countries. But I think that's an interesting point. Like, for example, my daughter is two years old, but I've been saying that I'm going to homeschool my children for 20 years. Now, when I started saying that back in, you know, early 2000s, late 1990s, people looked at me like I had a third eye. They looked at me like I was crazy. But now, now the reaction I get when I tell people that I'm going to homeschool my children, they just kind of nod their head and they're like, yeah, that's better. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is better. But it's taken a long time for this to become, you know, widely accepted. Yeah, it's very mainstream now. I mean, he still has its opponents, and you just get the same handful of questions. What about socialization? You know, I mean, and it's funny. We actually, our kids actually have we have shirts and stuff that say, "Warning: This child has not been socialized." Right? I mean, we make fun <laughs> of the the cliche arguments against it, uh, it but the proof is in the result. You, if you ever want to be truly entertained and amazed at what young people are capable of, go to an event where it's just a bunch of homeschool kids. I mean, they'll have business cards. They'll come up and shake your hand and introduce themselves and look you in the eye uh, because it's a very entrepreneurial community Absolutely. that has evolved out of this homeschooling movement. But I've got a book recommendation for you. This isn't one of mine, man. This is a, it's a good book. It's called Weapons of Mass Instruction. Weapons of Mass Instruction. That's powerful. Don't you love that title? Weapons of Mass Instruction by John Gatto. I think it's G-A-T-T-O. Look it up. You can probably find the PDF free if you Google it a little bit, but man, great book about, it's very historically accurate, very fact-based, very statistically analyzing the educational process landscape that we have available to us and the history of it. This guy was a New York State Teacher of the Year, and he is just destroying the way education is done pretty much globally. <laughs> I love it. It sounds exciting. Oh, you, you'll, you would enjoy it. This topic and the listeners too, I think. Jump out and grab that book. You'll, it, it will, he's been drug off stage by the police, let's put it that way. And <laughs> he doesn't raise his voice. He just states facts and evidence. And when he finds himself in a public school setting doing such, he can get the traditional thinkers pretty upset pretty fast. But yeah, it's a fun read. That's awesome. I love it. I'm definitely going to be checking that one out. I think this whole topic is really fascinating. Last question about this, and because I want to move on because I have so many cool things I want to talk to you about. But when you do homeschooling, do you follow like a regular curriculum that's done by the government? Or do you guys do interest-driven learning for educating your kids? Well, you know, there is a whole bell curve of answers you'd get if you asked 150 homeschool parents. I kind of divide it into two schools of thought, a couple different camps. 
to me, there's the isolationist homeschoolers. They're like, my child will never be exposed to the evils of the world. They will stay under our roof and we're going to live in the middle of 180 acres and they're going to learn to farm. And we're even wondering if we want to use the internet, right? Like you've got that school of thought and I'm kind of making fun of them a little bit, but that's not far off for some of them. And then you've got the other school where we are like on the other end of the bell curve, like let's expose them to everything. Now we know what we believe and we're going to answer all the hard questions. We really hope you end up believing what we do. But man, it's a big world out there. We're going to expose you to everything. And if we're not living out what we say we believe, man, that's on us as parents. So far, they all do. You know, they've accepted our worldview, but we're not like isolating them from the world. We are teaching them any and all. You've probably never heard of the unschool movement, but the basic theory of the unschool movement is the biggest favor I can do for my kid, as far as education goes, is keep them away from any formal setting whatsoever. After that, I've just saved them basically from from some of the most damaging psychological and emotional and mental strain they'll ever have to endure. It just that puts them ahead of the class as far as the, you know their peers. But we're not quite there. So we read a lot of books. That's how I grew up reading. Just read constantly. We've got a rule. You've got to read 45 minutes every day. Writing. You've got to write in your journal. And then after that, like I said, man, I t- told you the three keys that we're working on. It's a much bigger deal in our house, for example, to be rude to an adult you just met than to skip a day and just play outside and not not do your school. You follow me? It's a much bigger deal. The moral issues are a much bigger deal to us than are the got to check these boxes. You got to pass that test because you got to get into that college because you got to get that, you know, no, we're not, we're not putting our kids on that traditional path. And my goal all along has been to build a business that my kids can freely step into or out of as a security blanket. Now they're going to have to contribute, but I've had this vision and many people in my circle do as well. Like, wouldn't it be cool to build a business that your kids could use their gifts and talents to contribute in whatever way they want. But if they don't want to work for dad, Hey, that's cool too. Go off and be what you want to be. But then when you hit your forties and, and life slows down and you got kids, you're like, man, I wouldn't mind hooking up with something reliable that I can just be around family. Hey, we're right here. Come on back in. So that's given us a lot of Liberty. You know, education to me has nothing to do with schooling or curriculum. Education to me is building a successful adult. I love meeting people like you, Jim, because I just think that these are fascinating topics and it's literally like my thoughts and you are articulating them. And you're doing a very good job at articulating because you're even giving me ideas that I never even had myself. But I'm really 100% in line what you've just said. Well, that's cool, man. But, you know, if, if someone's not in line with this, you know, justify. I love taking life philosophies and belief systems to the wall, meaning, okay, let's just play this out. How does this look for your kids, for your kids' kids? You know, let's say the whole culture kind of adapted that, but what would it look like? Uh, and I think we're onto something pretty solid here, man. I will hold our homeschool educated kids up. Now, you know, taking an SAT test or a standardized test of some kind, they may or may not perform well, although when we have tested them, they've done really well. But that's meaningless to me. When we hire around here, you'll like this. We tell people right up front. Typically, it's a Facebook post. And we'll say, hey, we don't care if you went to college or where you went to college or what grades you got in school. If you bring any of those topics up during our process of getting to know each other, it tells us you're not paying attention. You're not the kind of person that's going to fit in around here. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying college is bad. I didn't say that. But I am saying if you think that's what gets you in the door to true opportunity, you are so wrong. It has nothing to do with it. We've got people who work for us. I don't know where they live. In some cases, I didn't know if they were male or female for a very long time. It's a name on a, you know, like it's a name in a different culture. I, I don't know. I don't care. What are you capable of? What have you achieved? How do you interact with others? You know, how many quality relationships do you have with quality people? Those are important things to me. Where you went to school, what grades you got in college. That couldn't be less relevant as far as being a successful business building warrior, which is what we've got a community of. Well, this is another one of my favorite topics. Like I'm, I started feeling out of school at 12 years old and by 15, I was out the door. I'm pretty much self-taught and traveled around the world and lived overseas for 20 years and learned by doing and experience and reading books, having mentors and teachers and coaches and learning from people who actually did things. Like I didn't learn business from someone who studied business. I learned business from people who do business. I think that these are key things that people need to understand. And if the formal education system does not do a massive pivot in the next few years, they're going to be left behind because we don't need things like that. I think they're already years behind. Years. They're already a couple decades behind. It's sad. One of the most damaging things you can do for your business career, if you want to succeed, 
is to pursue an MBA. In my now, that's just my opinion. I think it's a complete waste of money, time. The philosophy, the theology behind it is wrong. The whole idea of teaching someone to become an entrepreneur, like, hey, pay me a bunch of money and come to a formalized setting where to teach you to be an entrepreneur, that to me goes counter to everything I believe. Now, I'd have a great debate with college professors, and I had some great – I went to school. I got a degree. I had a handful of really good professors, great men I wish I could interact with to this day. I've lost track of some of them. Uh, but for the most part, a colossal waste of time and money. And like you just said, thanks to the internet, we can connect with experts in every – I mean, look at what Khan Academy has done to teaching math, Right. Like you can get great instruction on YouTube for free on any math topic. You've got to be nervous shaking in your boots if you're a major university with a math department. You know, you're competing against very creative, free content, right? That's the world we live in. It's true. I think it's really interesting as well because when I talk to, for lack of a better word, like non-entrepreneurs, civilians, whatever you want to say, and I try to tell them, oh, you know, I took this course and it was $1,000 and this is what I learned – and they still really shy away from like paying to learn from a structured course from someone who's done it, opposed to like if they went to a university, they have no problem dropping 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand. I don't know. Like how do you help people to see that there is a better way to learn things? Like you do information, you have communities and you teach people and you mentor people and you coach people. How do you help people to overcome these types of short-sightedness? You know, I, I jumped to a biblical model here and there's a lot in the Bible that talks about dealing with fools. Now, that's not a popular terminology, and I'm certainly not calling any specific person a fool, but the idea of how you deal with someone who is diametrically opposed to what you believe to be the correct worldview on a certain topic is to hold up a mirror. And what that means is you show them your results, and then you let them look in the mirror and see their own results. And just, it just that's it, man. I don't try to convince anybody of anything. And as we jump into the business topics, I let our story and our success be the only thing that we put out there. Don't listen to me and what I have. Look at the result. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we teach. Here's what we're doing. If you have a better way to teach that gets better results in the end, by all means, I'm going to sign up for that. We've all got to be open enough in our thinking and reasoning. If we're presented with facts that are counter to what we thought were facts and we've got evidence that there's a different form of truth than what we've been exposed to, We've got to be able to, to change lanes. And if someone won't, hey, you know, that's on them, not me. So I don't spend a lot of time trying to convince anybody of anything. You know, I have a saying in, in me as a Christian, I've got an audience of one. I'm not here to, to impress anybody. You know, I've got a heavenly father. I'm in it to, to win his favor. Everyone else, like, hey, if you like me, cool. You don't, that's good, man. I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. But I will share our results gladly with anybody. Here's how we've done it. Here's the results we've seen. Here's all these people over here doing it this way. Here's the results they're seeing. You show me your results. And I think as a culture, if you look at it, in the United States, 80% of our economy are these small business entrepreneurial thinkers right now. I mean, these companies with less than 30 people or so doing some crazy, fun, interesting things. Um, and very, very few of them are crediting their Ivy League education for helping them get there. You know, Ivy League helps you get to Washington and be a lawyer for, you know, a big firm that does politics. <laughs> if, if that's your path, awesome. But those of us who are actually building the economy, we're not taking that traditional path anymore in droves. That's just the way the world is if you look at the facts. I love it. That's brilliant. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping 
other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. So I want to change gears a little bit, Jim. Talk to me a little bit about what your focus is right now with your business. I could answer that as an, as an individual, as a man, you know, here's what I'm working on versus here's what we're doing as a company. And I'll take a brief stab at both and then you can go whichever direction you want. As a man, what I'm doing is focusing on guiding what's become a pretty big vessel in the right direction. We've got a team of over 150 people at this point who work either part-time or full-time for us or with us on different various projects. And we're all kind of heading in the same direction. And for me, it's juggling relationships with those, with those core few people who are closest to me, my team, the, the top level players, and making sure that we're communicating throughout the whole structure. You know, it's the typical CEO role, right? Communicating the vision and the purpose and the, you know, here's what's coming and here's how we prepare for what we think's coming a year and two years from now. And it's useless to think any further than that. If you're an internet marketer trying to plan more than two years out, you're wasting your time, buddy. I mean, arguably more than six months in a lot of cases, is a complete waste of time. These people have five-year vision for their company in the age of the internet. It's like, man, it's going to change 15 times. You know, man, what are you talking about? The pace of change is so rapid now. No one knows what's going to happen five years from now with the internet. But, you know, just kind of those, that level of decision-making. Now, potentially the more interesting topic might be, you know, what are we doing as an organization? What are some of the things that some of these players are doing? Well, we are just dominating the platform of Amazon, which is the world's biggest commerce platform right now, just a huge number of transactions daily. And we're getting a lot of products ranked really, really well. We're taking people through a process of like, hey, here's Amazon. Here's how you sell on this platform all the way through. Like my closest partner right now, he started with us just a few years ago, three and a half, four years ago, as a guy with 400 bucks in the bank and a desire to learn how to do stuff on the internet. He's now my closest partner. We're running an eight-figure product line on Amazon and number one best selling products in different categories. We love the toys and games category. Like right now, as we're recording this, we're beating Play-Doh and Legos and all these other brand names that have billion dollar budgets for marketing. We're beating them, doing some very simple Facebook ad strategies and some creative things that we love doing. You know, that's the exciting part of the ledger versus the, uh, what does the CEO do of a major uh, internet marketing company? Oh, that's kind of boring. I do stuff like this. I do interviews and I build relationships with my team. You know, it's, it's a blessing to get to do that kind of thing with my time. But if you want to dig into some of the Facebook strategy, Amazon stuff, I'm happy to go that direction. We don't hold anything back, man. Absolutely. Go for it. I'm ready to learn, my friend. So what we're doing is we're running some interesting Facebook ads that we've learned. We actually got a call from our Facebook ad rep not long ago, because as it turns out, we're spending a lot of money with Facebook ads, doing different experiments and things. Very low budget per campaign, but a lot of money once you add it all up. So we're one of their big clients. Actually, the biggest in terms of engagement, which Facebook loves engagement. That is their way out of the forest because Facebook as a company, I mean, we just saw Zuckerberg sitting in front of uh, Congress, right, getting shredded. And he, I thought he did fine uh, considering the, the ignorance of some of the questions that he was hit with. Uh, but they're torn between this. We want to be this platform where people interact and engage with their friends and people they like. But we also need money. So we want advertisers there too. Their way out of this mess is engagement. Advertisers who produce engaging, interesting, genuine, hey, let's talk about this type of content, right? That gets you the best of both worlds. If I can build a relationship with a brand that's real people interacting in a real way with a product and it's genuine, it's not a car commercial on TV, it's not the sun, it's nothing that you would ever see on a television commercial during halftime of a football game. You know, it's interactive. So what do you guys think of that? It's the ability to click likes and loves and ask questions and comments. And, you know, that's what they want. We've got that dialed in, man. We're building massive audiences right now, just having genuine conversations. I'll give you an example. Uh, right before our event last year, Brett and I, my partner, Brett Bartlett, he and I were talking about, man, wouldn't it be cool to step on stage three weeks from now at our event and just show people a very recent example of something where we just jumped in, started an ad, and it killed it. Like step one, all the way through. Let's just make it super simple and say, hey, you know, 
because it's easy to pull examples from three years ago. Let's just create something fresh. So he gets out his cell phone, no audio, no special lighting, no script. He gets out one of our products, one of our toys, starts playing with it with his daughter, holding the cell phone in his hand. Horrible. He's barefoot. He's got his big, hairy, big toe in part of the frame, right? I mean, it's just like if you gave it to any marketing agency in the United States, they'd be like, oh, we need to rework this thing from the beginning. And we're going to need about a million dollars if you want to do what you claim you think this thing's going to do. But no, it took off the likes, the loves, the comments, the interaction. We threw a few dollars of paid at it just to boost the, the audience a bit. Once, once Facebook told us who was liking and engaging, we boosted it to that audience a little bit. But we call it button smashing. Like, let's just put it out there and see what happens. It ends up, at this point, that video, now this has been about a year ago, coming up on a year, but it's gotten tens of millions of views, thousands of comments and interactions. So that engaging content is what Facebook wants, to keep it super simple. Now, this is level three stuff. I could jump higher into level seven, eight, nine, but I don't want to lose anyone. I want to just keep it as simple as possible. Engaging content, Facebook loves it. So we got a call from our Facebook rep, and they said, you guys have the most engaging advertising platform on Facebook right now. What are you doing? Now, that's pretty cool to hear from your Facebook ad rep and tell you that. So that tells you how much they like engagement. They want that engagement interaction. What we've leveraged that into now is massive wild success on Amazon. Because if you can get a product ranking well and doing well on Amazon, that suddenly gets you in front of strangers who you'd never meet on Facebook, but you get you in front of shoppers. So the ability to rank a product well, so if you're talking about it on Facebook, you throw it out there on Amazon, and that starts to boost the rank. And what we ended up doing was just selling thousands and thousands of units because of this simple video that Brett shot in about 45 seconds with his cell phone unedited, we ended up selling thousands of units of one of our products. We put the whole thing on display at our event and people's jaws dropped because it's simple. There's all these fancy formulas and strategies and SEO and we're not good at any of that. <laughs> we're just not. There's nothing fancy or revolutionary about what we're doing. We're literally smashing buttons trying it out. It's like, oh, there's a new checkbox that wasn't there yesterday in Facebook ads. Let's check it and see what happens. You know, like, I don't even know what it does. There's a little question mark next to it. I didn't even read the description. We just check it and try it. You know, we're not afraid to, we call ourselves button smashers and and Brett is our chief button smasher. If he had a business (laughs) card, which he doesn't, that's what we'd call him. Like, we're just experimenting around, goofing off, but here we are. You know, uh, yesterday we took a screenshot of it. We had three products in the top selling 10 toys on Amazon. And just for reference, that means thousands of units per day of each of those SKUs. Per day. So we're finding ourselves per day. Per yeah. day. And wow. that, so we find ourselves basically in the cash flow game at this point. Because the challenge we have right now, here we are as we're recording this podcast. It's, you know, we're in the month of May. Uh, the big three months, you could probably guess if you're selling online products, physical products, that's the fourth quarter, right? October, November, and especially December, the Christmas shoppers, Christmas shopping season, it's insane. Well, we're talking about possibly running out of a lot of our inventory that we thought we were well-stocked through Q4. Wow. So we're furiously gathering funds and, and calling our suppliers. And, you know, it's it's become, uh, if we want to stay in the mix, we got to have the product because we're selling a lot, kind of stumbling into even new ways to succeed using that we've basically married the best of Facebook with the best of Amazon and create a strategy that, it has to have these major brands scratching their heads. I mean, I envision some of these big, you know, again, Ivy League trained marketers, you know, getting their $250,000 salaries, 15 of them sitting around the table at Hasbro or Mattel or whatever. And like, <laughs> who are these guys and how are they doing this? Right. And we're like, oh, we've got a, you know, like $200 a week ad spend budget and we button smashed our way in and basically destroyed you guys. You know, uh, all our competitors have to be wondering what in the world is going on. But it's, it's not complex. It's relationships. You know, we genuinely love our customers. We provide them quality products and we engage with them frequently online. And you can do that in any niche and dominate. I would love to hear what you think is kind of hot these days. You know, where the market is turning with Amazon, with Facebook, where you think online marketing is going to go with these types of platforms. Any type of insight that you can give me would be Awesome. Well, let's do this then. If I were to do you the biggest favor I could in about 30 seconds, and you you know at this point in the podcast, and, and we ran into each other, and like, okay, Jim, it push me in the right direction. I could go 50 directions right now. There's so much so much going on out there. Just give me a little shove. If like if I was if my life depended on you actually succeeding over the next five years, and I had 30 seconds to say it, 
Uh, and I have to set it up that way because it sounds kind of trite when I say it, but this is honestly my best advice. Don't do this game alone. See, as internet marketers, we think that we can kind of get behind our glowing keyboards at three in the morning and make money and enjoy our life. And, you know, the, the, Tim Ferriss set that whole four-hour work week thing in motion, like, hey, live your dream life and smash buttons in the evening. But you, you truly look at what even Tim, and I, th I think he would admit this himself now, is he's had to build a team and a community and strong relationships to get to where he is. And if all you had was this concept in your head that I'm going to smash some buttons and do the right thing and, you know, do this on my own, my glowing keyboard and order some product and have some fun, make a bunch of money and be set. No, that's not how it works. Those people flame out. They either burn out or they flame out or they get bored or they hit, they hit some kind of wall that they can't get over. You've got to have a community. That's what I would say in those 30 seconds. Put yourself in a community of people who see the world you do, the way you do, who are succeeding wildly. And as, uh, man, who was it that said it? Uh, I've heard it said several ways, several different times, but the only difference between who you are now and who you're going to be five years from now, are the books you're reading and the people you're meeting. Like who are you, you know, what are you consuming? Who are you hanging out with? That is vital. And this ties back into the way we've homeschooled our kids. What books are you reading? What content are you exposing yourself to? Right? And who are you hanging out with? You tell me those things, I'll tell you your future. But if you surround yourself, so you've got the, the best of all worlds, if you're surrounding yourself with creative internet marketers and you're partnering together on projects, there's things we're doing that I never could have done myself. And it's beautiful to be in a position too, where if I want to, the last three days, I was in the middle of the woods on a lake with my kids. I, you know, I got a few emails I had to answer, but I've got a team now. Now, people might say, well, you'd make, be making a lot more money if you weren't spreading it all over the place like that to this huge team. Well, no, I would never would have gotten here without a team. So that's my vital advice. It's not so much about what's Facebook. What's, I think Facebook and Amazon will be the MySpace of memory 20 years from now. No one will know or care, right? Look, if you want my opinion and you want me to prognosticate, I can if you want me to. I think they'll both get their butts kicked. I, I think I can identify their weaknesses, their Achilles heel in both cases, and it'll be something else. The platform we're waiting on is a platform that honestly allows unfettered, free speech-based, anybody can say anything and no one's going to shut it down and say, oh, that was hate speech, or oh, that was too mean, or oh, we don't do that here. Unfettered. And let the public decide what they do and don't want to listen to. And the same with the sales platform. Let relationships. This is Amazon's weakness, if you want to hear my opinion on that. You don't go in and form a relationship when you buy something from somebody on Amazon. There's no way to build a relationship with them. It's an anonymous transaction. But from a, you know, from a Hebrew biblical foundation, which is where I come from, the only purpose of a transaction is the start of a relationship. So if you cut that off, well, you've built in a weakness, Amazon. Sure, you're making billions. Sure, Bezos is the richest man on the planet. But when he dies and his kid's in charge, you know, 20, 30 years from now, Amazon will not be where it could be longevity-wise because it's not encouraging and supporting relationships long-term. And you know, Facebook has its Achilles heels as well. But I mean, that's just me prognosticating. They could change the direction of the ship at any point and, and fix those things. But in the meantime, it's the biggest opportunity, entrepreneurial opportunity in the history of the world. At the same time, I say those things like it's bigger than Google ever was. It's bigger than eBay ever was. It's bigger than Facebook from an entrepreneurial standpoint. How's that for prognosticating? Yeah, like so that's like, <laughs> wow, shit. Like, hmm. <laughs> oh, and there's people who would disagree up one side. And I'm fine. I love these kind of debates and interactions. You know, I think one of the lies we've told ourselves as a culture around the world is if someone disagrees with me, they must hate me. No, I couldn't be further from the truth. I love a good, you know, like I'll, I love some just friendly, but honest going at it debates with atheist friends of mine. It's like, let's go, like, you know, I, I know as much as I know anything, there is a God and he created all of this. And you know, as much as you know anything, there isn't a God and you're nuts, dude. Like, let's have some fun, man. Let's just be, let's use our intellects and just have some fun with that. I don't hate you. You don't hate me. It's just, you know, it, but it, it's one of these lies our culture has told us uh, that we can't disagree without disliking each other somehow. Uh, I, it's a big lie. I think it's it's propagated in the way that we get our news and the mass media works. You know, it's people yelling at each other. So that brings me back to, or that reminds me, I should say, about a topic I had today with my family. So my favorite word these days is perspective. And all of my listeners, they probably have heard me use the word perspective about 20 times an episode because I think it's so fascinating. There is 193 countries in the world and in the West, like I'm Canadian, you're American. Our perspective is that, and I'm not going to speak for everybody here, but 
a lot of times we are raised to believe or grown up to believe that our countries are the best countries in the world. And the way that we do things is the best and we have the best entrepreneurs and the best movies and the best music and the best everything. Perspective. Think about perspective. There's 193 other countries. So my wife is from China. China is a monster. They are an absolute powerhouse and they do not give a shit about Western society. They have everything their own. They have their own internet, their own businesses, their own electronics, their own cars. They have everything of their own with 1.3 billion people there. Now, I was just in China this week with my wife. We spent a week there. We have a home in Goyang. And I'm walking around and even though I've been married to a Chinese girl for a long time and I've been over there so many times, I still look around and think, wow, that's really weird. Like, not in a bad way, but it's just like, that's so different than I would have ever imagined it. But it's not that I am right and they are wrong or they are right and I am wrong. It's perspective. It's how we look at things. So I think this really ties into what you were just saying about business, about debating with different people about these fundamental things like religion, like politics, like, you know, how you raise your children. Do you raise them in traditional education? Do you raise them at homeschooling? Yeah, it, it, it's beautiful. And it, it, to me, the, the most important part of the whole thing is, again, relationship. It's the same answer. I, I believe, and I think I could make a case cross-culturally, that relationships are the core. You know, the pe person who rejects relationships and thinks they can do it alone, they're going to lose. The person who pursues genuinely serving others well, I don't care what label you put on it, serve others well. Make this life about something other than you getting what you want so you can have what you want when you want it. Like that's a miserable existence. And we've seen countless examples of that. You know, the, the richest man I ever met, miserable man with a miserable wife because it was all about money for them. It wasn't about relationships. They'd landed some huge government contracts and they hadn't had to serve people well in the pursuit of their wealth. So therefore, they were miserable with that wealth. They just didn't feel like they'd earned it, I guess. I don't know. I never asked them these questions. I was a kid. But I, they didn't have friends. They didn't have people that I, they, I was over at their house all the time. My dad was the caretaker for the property. They never had people over them that just show up and hug them on the neck. No, it was always misery. Like, we've got to change the the color of this room. It's horrible. I can't believe the painter, blah, blah, blah. You know, the wife is just always upset about some aspect of that, never about other people, you know? So I think that's the, that's the core and that's the core of our philosophy. And if that's what translates across cultures, if you can live your life making it about others and genuinely serving others well, Hey man, that, that'll translate in any language. Well, cause I think it's a Zig Ziglar quote. You can get anything you want out of life if you help enough people get what they want. And I think that's like, it's bang on, you know? Absolutely. Like this podcast and your podcast and your books and all of these things that we do, it's to serve others. It's to help others. Yeah. And, and in doing so, you'll find yourself in a far more desirable position than you would have if you'd have pursued your own interests exclusively. I like speaking to high school, college age kids. And one of my favorite things to do is get up there and say, you know, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be? I've got a little secret for you. I, I did a graduation ceremony recently. I was looking at the, the, the graduating class right in the eye and I'm asking like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? I've got a little secret for you. I don't care and nobody else does either. <laughs> <laughs> and the, all the moms are like, <gasps> you know, I love that moment. And they're like, how is he going to bring this one back home? You know, like until we know how you're going to serve us with excellence, with those gifts and talents that I believe God put inside of you, no one cares what you want to do or what you want to be, except maybe your mom, maybe no one else cares. How are you going to serve us? How are you going to leave the world better than you found it with those gifts and talents? Now we're talking about an interesting topic. Now I'm interested. But you just telling me what you want to do, maybe if you're three or four years old, I'll, I'll endure that. So how did you come to these realizations, Jim? Like what was your aha moment that sparked all of this? I'm a lifelong student of the Hebrew culture, which is the original language of the Bible. The Bible was written in Hebrew. And it's a magical language. And these are, the, the, let's put it this way, the longest longitudinal study in the human history, recorded human history, the longest longitudinal study over many, many, many decades and generations is the Hebrew culture. They've documented it and they've succeeded wildly financially and in many other ways as a culture based on some pretty basic, I believe to be timeless, I believe to be given from God truths. And it's, it's not complicated stuff, but the rules of finances and family and faith and pursuing these things in life that mean the most to us, the rules are all the same. And it comes back to others. 
really. I mean, that's the core of it. But yeah, it's, I believe that the, the best-selling book in the history of the world is also the best business guide, the Bible. That's what I use as a reference point. And if I weren't a believer, I weren't a Christian, I would still believe that because just the documented evidence of the financial security, stability, and long-term success of those who, there's plenty of Hebrews who are atheists. You didn't realize that the vast majority of them actually are at this point, but they still succeed because they deployed these principles into their life, almost unknowing because it's built into their language. It's built into their culture. Like I'll give you one specific example in the Spanish language. And you know, some Spanish, right? You, you, you know a lot more than I do. Probably mm-hmm. there's no word for earning money. It's the same word for finding money or winning money. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, there's no word for winning money. No such thing. It's a, it's a ridiculous, nonsensical concept. You don't win money. You earn it. It can be given to you. But in Spanish, there's no distinction. So culturally, how you view money comes back to the way you speak of it, the way you interact with it. And ultimately, I believe the way you see God is the way you see money in a lot of ways. The two overlap. And I think the Hebrews have it dialed in. One of my favorite authors is Daniel Lapin, if you want to read more on this. L-A-P-I-N. Got a great podcast. You, you dig his stuff. He's not a Christian. We're great friends. He's, he's a, a Jewish rabbi, right? He's not a Christian. I am. We hang out, have a great time. Good friends. We interact all the time. He's, he's advised presidents, man. This dude's the legit. He knows his stuff. Check him out, too. That's awesome. I love that when talking to you or listening to you talk about religion— you're not rigid with it. Like me personally, I'm an atheist. It's not something that really speaks to me, but the fact that you have friends and that you have debates with people who have different opinions from you and are able to still converse with them and still respect them, and it's not about us versus them, that gives me a lot of respect for you. Oh, well, thanks. And, and same to you, man. I mean, that, that's pretty much the only person I can't hang with is the person who says, because of what you believe— I shun you. I'm like, that's all I need to know, dude. Have a great life. <laughs> you know, I love diverse beliefs and, and, uh, you know, I, I cert, I think certain paths will take people to, to certain bad places and other paths will take people to good places, but Hey, they can determine their own. But I do, I, you know, I happen to believe in an absolute truth. We could have a fun debate about that sometime, you know, especially I, I really love atheist friends who are willing to have just good in-depth discussion and debate, because I think we can learn so much from each other. Mm-hmm. I, I read a great book. Um, I sold my soul on eBay. It was an atheist who sold his soul literally on eBay to the highest bidder. <laughs> like literally. And, and highest, like <laughs> Exactly. And, and it, was, it was a highly entertaining book, enjoyable. You know, the winning bidder happened to be a Christian who said, okay, I want you to attend you know, 50 churches in the next year, and I will pay your fee if you'll go do it. And he did it. And, you know, it doesn't end with some climactic conversion or anything. You know, it's just like the churches just loved it because finally someone who's honestly something in common as Christians, here's what I believe. I know why I believe it. I think I can back it up. Let's talk. You know, hey, we have something in common. We know what we believe in a culture that has no clue sometimes, (laughs) you know, these conflicting, like, I don't know what I believe. I'm just trying to get by day to day. Like, no, I, I want people who know why they believe what they believe. We have that in common. That's a common starting point. I'm so happy that I had you on the show, Jim. If my listeners want to learn more, if they want to check you out, where can we send them? You know, probably the best place would go to silentgym.com. That's my podcast, and it's the word silent and the word gym. That's me.com. And uh, if you're interested in the Facebook, Amazon stuff that we're doing, a new book just hit. It's just a few bucks. It's a 60-page book. gives you plenty of examples. It's called Proven Audience Formula. You can Google it or go to provenaudienceformula.com. And it, it's selling on Amazon, getting great reviews right now. So between those two, you can figure it out. People know how to use Google. Figure it out, folks, right? <laughs> if this resonated, go check it out, man. But I, it's an honor to be on your show, buddy. And I hope we've served your audience well and continued success to you. No, it's been an amazing conversation. I really enjoy it. Thanks so much for your time, Jim. We'll talk soon, okay? All right. Thank you, sir. Talk soon. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. 
what I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. Uh, it has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.